Welcome to We Are Just Christians. Thanks for tuning into the show today. We're really glad you are with us at, at this cold Sunday morning. I've been shivering today. Maybe it'll get a little bit warmer. We're glad that you're here, though, and we welcome you to We Are Just Christians. My name is Mike Schmidt. I'm the preacher and and uh, one of the elders of the church here. With me, as usual, my partner, Gary Jones. How are you, Gary? I'm doing fine this morning, Mike. Good. We're, we're really glad we can be here. And, I'm cold, and, too. Yes, uh, and we hope that you can stay with us for... The next hour here on We Are Just Christians, we've got a couple different topics to talk about, and we're open to talk about whatever's on your mind, because We Are Just Christians is a live call-in show. I'm going to give you the numbers in just a moment, and if you want to write it down, you can do it. It's kind of easy to remember, but I'm going to give you a, a call-in number, a, a couple of text numbers, an email address, several ways to get a hold of this show. We like interaction, and we get a little bit of all those things, email, text, and calls, and we appreciate that very much. would like to have more. It makes the show interesting uh, when you call in. I know that people think that they don't have anything to say or they're worried about what anybody would think, but I can tell you from experience most people are much more interested in what you have to say than what we do, and the show is much more interesting when you call in. Everybody has the same kind of questions. There's no such thing as a bad question. Um, so we appreciate that. But you can reach We Are Just Christians on WPSL at 772-340-1590. 772-340-1590 is the uh, call-in number. Mike there at the station will patch you through to us. And so we will uh, be able to talk with you. We hope you'll uh, not only ask your question, but stick around for a few minutes until we can uh, interact with you. Maybe we want to ask a follow-up question. I don't want to just misunderstand someone's point and then go off on that, and I'd, I'd like to be able to make sure we're getting to the point that you want to talk about. Sometimes it's awfully easy to, under, to misunderstand the question. It, it very much is, especially what the overall intent may be or where you may want to go with that. So stick around if you can. If not, we'll be glad to deal with whatever's on your mind. And like I say, you can reach us by telephone at 340-1590 if you'd like to text the show, and some people do that. There are two text numbers. One is mine. That's 772-260-6120, and Gary's text number is 772-260-6220, so those are, that's how you reach the show immediately today, either one of those methods, by calling or texting. If you'd like to, to type, take a, send an email to us, I guess people type out emails, but you can send an email to us at justchristians at att.net. Justchristians at att.net is the email address, and every now and then we get an email, and we appreciate that very much. We probably won't be able to answer that or respond on the air uh, for obvious reasons. I just can't follow the email and do all this and so forth, but we'll try to respond to that during the week uh, if we possibly can or on, on another show. We've got a backlog of two or three things to talk about. Uh, we might get to a couple of those today. We haven't forgotten you, but uh, <clears throat> we want to uh, let you know that this is, we want to talk about what you want to talk about. If we are on a subject that you don't like or want to say something else, please feel free to call in and interrupt that process if you can, Change if you want to. We do not mind like. at all, and we promise we're not going to cut you off or embarrass you. We're going to talk with you. Uh, like reasonable people today and give you the last word, 772-340-1590. Thanks for listening. And, uh, uh, you know, if you, you can make it a habit, you can even listen to us. We don't probably don't announce this enough, Gary. You can listen to us on the Internet or when you're out of town or even if you don't get a good reception for WPSL. If you go to WPSL.com, WPSL.com, there's a Listen Now uh, button there. If you click that, it brings the show, if we're on the air, it brings it right up. You can also go to the archives of this show on our website, which is wearejustchristians.com. There's archives of the radio show over on the right-hand side. You'll see a button to click. And you can get the show as a podcast where it's automatically delivered to your computer. You can listen to it on your devi different devices, or you can download it or listen to it right there you know, on your computer while you're sitting there. Whatever you want to do at wearejustchristians.com. And there's all kind of other things there on that website 
sermons and lessons we preached on various subjects. In fact, probably going to refer to one of those a little bit later in the lessons in the show today, Gary. We get to a particular topic where you can go to wearejustchristians.com. There's a search bar there. Type in the type in the, the topic, and a lot of times you'll, you'll be hit with two or three things that we've spoken on in the past. Uh, that you can listen to a rather lengthy discussion of several different kinds of issues. Well, one I'm going to refer to, perhaps we might get to this, there's a, there's a lesson on whether Christians can use self-defense, whether that's a biblical right, right or not, or a good uh, uh, moral evil, or whether it's, uh, it's permissible on there. And there's a probably a 45-minute discussion with lots of different scriptures and a couple different viewpoints on, the, on our website if you're interested in those kind of topics. Any kind of topic you want to think of, We've covered it in the last eight or ten years, so forth. I was going to say, Mike, even if you don't like our references, uh, there's a couple even on the Internet by a gentleman by the name of Gary DeMar. I generally kind of follow him. I don't agree with everything he says, but he has he has some scriptural viewpoints on it that right. might be worth looking at. The, one, the, the lesson that I did here, I don't know when it was, a year or two ago, um, I tried to go through the different scriptures about the use of force or self-defense, whether it was even a biblical principle. And there's been a a disagreement uh, among Christians about that. But anyway, we we might come back to that subject in a little bit. I know that's on people's minds to some degree. But um, here's something from the news, Gary, that I I, I talked about this before. I'm going to go here first. Don't take very long about this. Um, Talked about this before, and it it keeps getting probably worse. Maybe you've heard this. Uh, China to rewrite, quote, rewrite the Bible and the Quran to fall in line with President Xi's socialist ideology, quote, unquote. So all religious books, it says, in China now, the powerful Committee for Ethnic Affairs, which oversees all religious matters in the state, says all religious books must now reflect, quote, reflect the era of President Xi Jinping. Probably mispronouncing his name, and I don't mean that any kind of slur. If it sounds like I'm hesitating, I don't know the exact pronunciation. You know, when I was a kid, it used to be Peking. Yes. Uh, now it's Beijing, and now I hear, oh, no, that's not correct either. Well, I have no idea what to say, but I'm not trying to be rude. I just don't know. Well, Although, Beijing is the way they pronounce it at Epcot. Beijing? Beijing. Beijing. That's what I've heard. Oh, well, Epcot must be right. Well, they're so, supposed, uh, supposedly they brought Chinese over here to... I don't think there's any exact correlation between Chinese <laughs> words and English words in the way that we say them. It's almost bad enough if you come from, from Michigan and come to, to Georgia, you can't understand how people pronounce words, much less China and the United States with different alphabets and so forth. But anyway, uh, China is intending to uh, Call for, they call for a comprehensive evaluation of the existing religious classics, including the Bible and perhaps the Quran and other things, aiming at contents which do not conform to the progress of the times. Okay, And that's an interesting phrase. So whatever is in a book, um, uh, a religious book, has to conform to the progress of the times, or it will not be allowed to be published in China. In fact, there's a preacher of some sort just imprisoned because he was bringing Bibles and other literature and, and uh, into the country, had brought them in, and were selling them or something, or giving them away to people. He's been sentenced to several years in prison because he did that, and the crime basically is promoting something that is against... Uh, the Chinese, uh, oh, what am I trying to say? Against their ideology, against the one idea of one China. And um, this whole thing has just uh, really gotten out of hand, you know, uh, well, over there. If, if you think that's something, just hang on. It's coming here, too. Well, I suppose that's why I'm mentioning that. I'm I should have looked this up, but there uh, I'll, I'll bring it up here in just a second. Uh, there, there are several quotes by several prominent politicians uh, that basically say, uh, and that's what caught my attention in this article. It was the it was the statement of the idea that if certain religious 
teachings and books do not meet the uh, progress of the times, then we're going to have a problem with, they're going to have a problem with the United States government. And that's the idea that we have several of our politicians have basically said that, that, you know, uh, that, and I don't, I'm not trying to be, uh, I'm not trying to be overtly political here, but what I am trying to say, or uh, I, I am trying to say is that there is a, an idea out there among many people in our, uh, in, in our society that if you don't co- if you don't correspond to what what people say, uh, who are in the more uh, progressive or liberal camp, then you're you're just not keeping up with the times. And we hear so often about this idea of um, uh, what is it called uh, the the arc of history, yes, bending in a certain direction, and of course it's always against or uh, away from anything that the Bible would say about that particular kind of subject. And, uh, you know, I just can't seem to fi- lay my hands here, Gary, on that quote. I wish I could for some reason. I uh, can't seem to find it, but it was a quote by Hillary Clinton about, um, here, here it is, I found it. Um, he, she says, far, uh, it was speaking of the intersection of the Bible and these issues, Clinton in, in 2016, as she's an example. I'm not trying to pick on her. I'm just giving this as an example of what the thinking that the idea that we got to change the Bible to conform to the pro, quote conform to the progress of the times. Okay, that's from a communist dictator's government. She says far too many women are denied access to rep- reproductive health care and safe childbirth, and laws don't count for much if they're not enforced. Rights have to exist in practice, not just on paper. Laws have to be backed up with resources and political will. And deep-seated cultural codes, religious beliefs, and structural biases have to be changed. So, in other words, she is saying that we intend, with the force of political will or the force of the government, we, we need to, cha- to change deep-seated cultural religious codes religious and religious beliefs to conform to the times that we live in. And if we don't do that, then, um, you know, we're in trouble. So, so this, to me, this rings very, uh, it almost sounds like the same thing. I don't know about anybody else, but it sounds very much like the same kind of idea that unless we are willing to, uh, you know, conform our religious beliefs, Well, to you, the times, then the religious beliefs got to change. Well, not, not, not society, but religious beliefs. And not just change, but they have to be changed by the government. Well, if you think that's I, impossible, it has already happened here. Well, I know it's not impossible. No, it, it's uh, already happened. It's it happening, happened, yes. It, it happened in the 19th century when we declared polygamy illegal uh, in, a, in opposition to the Mormon religious belief. Right. So the government already has a precedent for doing. I know, and and that I'm just telling you though, if if the if the you if you accept the principle that religion has to change with the times, and that's one thing, maybe that's your belief. The problem that China has now is not that they're changing with the times, is that the changing of the times is being enforced by a military a, a government. Not just in, well, the indoctrination is occurring not by a free press, well, but a, by education camps and inter- it's an incarceration. Ideology. It's an ideology yes. that's causing the change. Right. And so so when, when the government decides they're going to enforce the religious change and rewrite the book and so forth, that's a whole different breed of cat than people just becoming more progressive or more liberal or whatever you want to say in society. We all know that that's happened. And I'm not, I, I'm just saying, I, I'm not saying, I'm not saying the government shouldn't be interfering in that particularly. People do change and all that. But when it's forced and people are, in, are imprisoned or re, in China what they're doing, Gary, is they're just re-educating people. They're sending you away to a camp and you get re-educated by forced labor and by 
by indoctrination at the camp until you can come out of that facility and then your your ideas have been changed or at least on the outside this is what's going on in china and the government is in they have a government a, a bureau of religious affairs well uh you know I don't know how that'll work. We we can call it a lot of different things in the United States. We can call it a lot of different names, different bureaucracies that have power over different things. But this is the this is a problem. And I'm going to rewrite the Bible now. I will tell you something. The problem with that, from the standpoint of a of what a Christian believes from the Bible, is God's pretty clear that the grass will wither and fade away, but my my word. Pardon me, Pooks. I'm sorry. I just couldn't control it. But but uh, the word of God will abide forever, right? That's, so yep. the Xi Zhao Jinping, if I'm saying his name correctly, is going to butt up against a statement in God's word. My word will abide forever. And I would say it would put him and his government on the side of the grass that withers away. If I had to based on my knowledge of what happened in the Bible, how God has dealt with nations and his enemies before and large empires, that I'd put the great empires of the earth and this this dictator and his persecution of the people who call themselves Christians on the side of the grass that will wither away. And I'll take the Bible and say, that's going to abide forever. Okay. What do you think, Gary? I know you agree with that, right? Well, yes. If I had to put one on one side, one on the other, he exactly. thinks he can alter it and change it. You know exactly how that will happen. We we can discuss, but my my opinion is, if somehow man attempts to do away with the written word or change the way the Bible is written, there's no longer any reason for this earth to exist in God's view. Right. Certainly not. A, certainly not an empire or a country. Right. For sure. So. Basically, you you have you have a couple of opportunities. It will it will exist one way or another forever. Uh, if it doesn't exist on this earth, there's no reason for this earth to continue. And he has promised to come back and wrap this earth up like a scroll. Right. Right. So I would say you got two choices: either the word abides forever here, or this word this earth is gone. That's my viewpoint of it. Right. Uh, that's the uh, uh, let me find this verse for you here I, I found it now I lost it again 1 Peter 1 is one example I believe of that verse 24 uh, because all flesh is as grass that's all human beings right. is as grass and all the glory of man these great empires and nations and whatever they build all the glory of man as the flower of the grass the grass withers its flower falls away but the word of the Lord endures forever. Now this is the word by which the gospel was preached unto you, and so forth. So he, Peter in First Peter one twenty four is saying, remind them of this fact, as they have faced as they faced in that day Roman persecution of various sorts in different parts of the empire, that they that the grass would fade away as well as men and all the empires, and yet the word of God will remain forever. So. Let's have confidence, and I know many of you listening to us this morning have confidence in in the Word of God, and it's a it's a hard thing to consider that uh, this powerful country with literally billions of people has this project in mind of rewriting the Bible. But of course, that project has been underway undertaken by a lot of people over a long period of time to make it say what you want to say. I remember some years ago you had the uh, Reader's Digest came out with various versions of the Bible, and you have the positive Bible, right? You have the, they only put in the positive verses of the Bible and left out all the other stuff that don't doesn't suit their ideology. Uh, I believe there's ideology. Also, I also believe there's a gender-neutral version of the Bible, if you will. Yes. Uh, so basically, many things have changed, but I also point to our readers something that might be uh, our listeners rather second peter 3 beginning about verse 10 says but the day of the lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up therefore 
since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? Great point. Yeah. We should be living every day with that possibility. And, and this this little quote here from uh, that it's exactly right. This little quote that if it doesn't conform to the progress of the times, we're going to rewrite it, really sums up uh, what some people call the culture war in the United States has been going on most of my lifetime, that there's an attempt to rewrite moral codes. And, of course, initially, from the standpoint of the Bible, all of my lifetime, and because it doesn't forget, fit with the progress of the times, whatever you want to view that. You know, when I... Uh, Gary's a little older than me by just a few years, but when we were young men uh, back in the late 60s and early 70s or so forth, that, that's when they were having the uh, revolution began. The Beatles sang about the revolution and all the others. And, so, and it was a revolution, a cultural revolution. And, and uh, they, they all talked about being against the establishment, capital E, establishment. And they were going to tear that down and imagine a world with no religion, John and saying, right? Well, he was imagining the world that we now live in, or what that at least partial, we're partially there. The revolution against the establishment. What was the establishment, Gary? In broad okay. terms, it was a, a, a Judeo-Christian culture. For whatever you may think of it, it was a culture in Western civilization, in Great Britain, Europe, and particularly Great Britain and especially the United States based upon what people had conceived to be Judeo-Christian principles of legal principles, moral principles in particular, and uh, principles of behavior and society. And the intention was, by these progressives, to tear all that down because that was the establishment that had to be changed and removed. Well, this communist dictator is trying to do kind of the same thing over there and take out the last vestiges of any kind of Western civilization from China. Not only is he going to change the Bible, he's trying to get rid of Islam and quite a few other things too, perhaps. The article I had didn't go into some of those. But, um, you know, it's one thing to say, well, I want to be against the establishment. Everybody, oh, I'm cool, I'm against the establishment. Um, but what is the my point was what is the establishment it depends on what the establishment is as to whether you should be against the establishment right right uh, the establishment may be principles and we did a, ser a series of sermons here i think it was last fall gary called uh, the bible and the constitution which you can get on our website the bible and the constitution or the bible and constitutional principles where i tried to show in that sermon oh, in, a, in a detailed way some of the principles upon which our society, our legal system is based uh, that have come directly from the Bible in Old and New Testaments. Uh, and it's, it, you know, there, there's a lot of thought that has to go into that, I guess, and you can reject this or that. But it, there's no doubt that our, our system of government and society based upon the fact that all men are created equal and should be equal before the law is a biblical principle. It isn't found in Darwinism. It isn't found in Marxism or progressivism. It's only found in a, from a biblical framework. It wasn't found before the, the time of, of the Bible. It was developed over many centuries from the Bible. And so all these principles of you know having witnesses and all that other kind of stuff all come from the Bible. So if you want to rebel against the establishment, destroy the establishment, you folks need to realize what you're what you're destroying. You're going to have more and more court systems like we've seen in here and there and glimpses of them where you don't even have to follow legal precedent or have witnesses called that can testify to condemn someone. And, and people lose their jobs by these kangaroo courts every day because the mob gets stirred up against them without any kind of legal due process at all. This is how Marxism works. This is how China works. And when they're trying to destroy any kind of movement that doesn't fit, quote, the progress of the times, you folks need to take a step back and think about that, not only religiously, but also civilly or socially. Don't you think that's right, Gary? Well, everybody, everybody to me, everybody that wants to separate politics from religion 
is uh, not, at least in not my view, really cognizant of what the two are because you cannot separate them at some point. Depending on the definitions that you give of each and, and the parameters you put, yes, you can't really you can't really separate, separate them, them very much because you can't separate them from the culture. Right. The common intersection is the culture, and right. and uh, basically that's I'm just I'm reminded today, uh, and, and I maybe I'm changing the subject on you a little bit, Mike, but I'm reminded today when I look about us what's happening in this country, and what's going on in our government of Isaiah five, beginning in verse twenty. Isaiah talks about the children of Israel. So this, this is a problem been around for a long time. He says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. Woe to men mighty at drinking wine and woe to men valiant for mixing intoxicating drink, who justify the wicked for a bribe, and take away justice from the righteous man. I, basically, I, it's just our our moral world, our society, our culture is being turned upside down in front of me. Right, and, and it's all be, if you well, we don't get into all of that, but but when you when you start making your basis for your society follow it, for getting rid of religion, then you have to follow the progress of the times. You need to be real careful about what that means and how it's going to be implemented. And uh, th that's what's going on today. Of course, you get some uh, thing like gay marriage or whatever it may be or transsexual rights. Now, then th that becomes the um, that becomes the touchstone and, and, the, and the rallying cry. But what's really at stake is much deeper than that all the way along the right way. But I'm going to tell you something. The Bible's clear that people have been beating on it for a long time. There's an interesting poem, old-fashioned, called The Anvil, about the going to the blacksmith shop and watching him work. And what you would see, he said, the blacksmith shop was an anvil, and next to the anvil you'd see a pile of beat-up, worn-out hammers, broken, worn-out hammers that had been beating on the anvil and you beat on them with a hammer that seems like you're going to destroy the anvil, and what it, what eventually breaks is the hammer. Right. And it was compared in this poem to men who have who have beat upon God's word over the centuries, trying to make progress out of it, and have because their their progress was not the progress that the Bible invention in, in, uh, envisioned. The hammer got destroyed, and the anvil remains. And that's the word of God. Well, Gary, we can probably go another direction here. I, I know that you were interested because of this latest shooting at a church out in Texas. Not uh, to talk a little bit, at least briefly mention the idea that's come up sometimes as to whether Christians or churches are justified in in having anyone in their building that's armed or in protecting themselves. It is a, it is something that Gary and I, as elders of this church, and we have uh, a couple of deacons here with us now that will serve serve also as as the people that kind of lead this church. Do we have a a responsibility to ha to try to protect this church from someone coming in and trying to kill us? Oh, well, that's a remote possibility. Well, of course, it's a remote possibility. So, so is you being killed in a car accident, but you wear a seatbelt every day, right? Right. Uh, so the point is not how remote it is, but it's actually a real possibility. In fact, for us as a church, as one of the churches of Christ, there have been like three church, church shootings in some relatively small churches of Christ in the last couple of years. I'm not sure. Well, from what we can tell about this incident that happened the other day, the latest I heard anyway, is this a fellow had come asking for money on more than one occasion, and that church had a policy, not unlike ours, actually, and some, and some of the details are different, but that they wouldn't give this person money from off the street, but they would give him food or whatever else he needed, and he didn't want that. He wanted cash, and he kept coming back, and when they wouldn't give him cash, he, he dressed up one day in a disguise carrying a long gun and, or 
more than a pistol, apparently, and killed two men. Who had killed, he turned the gun toward the audience. I saw the video. He turned the gun toward the audience of 250 other people and was ready to fire upon the audience when, when he was shot. One, of the, one of the men of the church, a deacon who was armed, and for that very purpose, shot him dead. And then you see five or six other members of this church came running toward the man on the ground to make sure that everything was under control from the audience because there were several members who were armed. This was in response to the fact that they had, a, not that far away from that place, two years ago, they had a shooting at a church building. It took the police 11 minutes to get there. Texas at that time had a law that churches were not allowed to allow to permit people to have guns in in their assembly. Well, that's No one was armed, and he killed 26 people before it was over. And so they passed a law saying that churches could allow people to carry weapons and or train people to, to carry weapons. And this church did that, and two people died, but not 26. Now, right. that's, that's, the, that's what people are responding to, agree or disagree with that. Well, to get technical about it, Mike, Texas never has had a law that you couldn't carry in church. What they actually did more recently was clarify the law so that there was less misinterpretation. Well, okay. Well, people understood that you could, shouldn't carry in church. And there's a there's a certain number of people. Maybe some of our callers, we'd be glad to hear, hear from you. 772-340-1590, who believe it'd be wrong of a Christian to carry a weapon in a church building. Well, and, and that, that's where I would be coming from, Mike, if, if our listeners are interested in that. Basically, uh, whether or not they have a right to defend themselves within the assembly of a church is actually derived from whether or not you as an individual... In the church building, you mean? Yes, in the church building, is actually derived from whether or not you as an individual have a right to defend yourself in your home or anywhere else, and is that scriptural? And if that's that's the question, then I think we can probably address that a little bit better with Scripture if, if we want to yes. look at those things. Uh, yeah, I wouldn't go so far as to say, you know, it's that's another thing that I would probably disagree with. This is maybe a God-given right, maybe or not. That's the way the news, a lot of the news media tries to treat it. But that's another question for later on. Right. But there are some certain things here, and, and one of the things that I've discovered is a misunderstanding of Scripture. And I'd just like to say one thing up, up the, the commandment, you shall not kill. Where did that come from? Okay, is that really what it says? And people under believe that you shouldn't kill anyone under any circumstances. And I think that's a misunderstanding, Mike. I think... Basically, even the Old Testament law says that under certain conditions, people were, were to be stoned or to be... There was capital punishment for different... The, the word that's used in Exodus 20, thou shalt not kill in the King James, right. is better translated, like in the New King James, thou shalt yeah, do not, no murder. Yes. That, that's, a, that's a better translation that's of a, the word, and especially in the context, like you're right. saying, yes. of the Bible itself. Murder and killing are two different things. Right. Basically, Merriam-Webster defines murder as the crime of unlawfully killing a person, especially with malice and forethought. Right. And so, basically, that's what the that's killing what the, is just that's, a that's, that's what the commandment actually says in Exodus. It's Exodus twenty and thirteen, if you want to look it up in the New King James, and it actually says, "Thou shalt not murder." Right. Now, we, we could go over some of the scriptures about self-defense because there are probably some Christians who believe that you can't defend yourself at all, uh, you know. What, so, one of those is Exodus 22, 2 and 3. Uh, and it talks about in Exodus 22, beginning verse 2, if the thief is found breaking in and he is struck so that he dies, there shall be no guilt for his bloodshed. That is Exodus 22 and 2. Right. Uh, so under those circumstances, then it goes on in 3. It says, if the sun is risen on him, there, there shall be guilt for his bloodshed. Exactly what that means has been under discussion, but our own laws seem to interpret that if you if you go after him after the event and kill him, then that's, that's murder. Mm -hmm. Okay, if he escaped your house or... 
or goes away. In other words, if he's no longer a threat to you, that's how our government has interpreted that passage in terms of the laws that we make. Whether that's a proper interpretation, I don't know. But well, I think it probably is. That when a person, when the threat is right. removed, then your, your right to kill somebody is removed also. Right. When the threat is there, you have a right to, and I think the, the Bible recognizes that, and I think our law recognizes that well, in general. Let's, let's, say, let's say, for instance, in the case where you watch the video where the, where the gunman turned the gun on the con- con- congregation, if he had thrown down the gun and proceeded to run, they would have no right to shoot they would, him dead. They would have no right to shoot what? him, even though he had killed two people already. Yeah, unless they thought there was still a threat. Right. To them. See, that's that's the way our law basically seems to be written, and I think that's that's valid. Well, people also point out, I think, uh, and and we could we could look at Deuteronomy 20, 32, 35, Vengeance is mine, uh, and recompense says the Lord. Uh, that's repeated in Romans twelve, uh, in verse seventeen. So the idea of taking vengeance is not scriptural. Okay, so once that threat has gone away, then it becomes, I believe, vengeance, at least in the minds of most people who read these these scriptures. And the government now has the right. It is now, according to what Paul says in Romans, it is now the government. That becomes God's minister of vengeance. Right. Yes. Not the individual. Therefore, uh, we have a problem there. Uh, So I don't know how far you want to go with this, Mike, but. There are a couple of other passages that people point to that I think are misunderstood. One of them is the turn the cheek, turn the other cheek passage. And right. forgive me, I'm looking for it right now. I, I have it's it. in Matthew five. Okay. I, I have it somewhere here, but uh, I didn't. I didn't look that up for this particular discussion. But uh, turning the other cheek is the idea of not. It's. It's the idea of, uh, hang on a second, I'll find it, Gary. I turned away, I had it there in front of me, and then I turned away from it. Uh, It's the idea of of not just responding to an insult with violence. The idea, well, let's read what Jesus says. Matthew 5, 38, Yes. think says, you have heard it, but you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person but whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn to him the, turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, let him have your cloak also. And whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks you, and from him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn him away. This, this passage is he's people who just say turn the other cheek. It's not what it says. It says here, whoever slapped you on your right cheek, turn to him the other also. He's he's making a specific point about which cheek you're slapped on. So two people are facing each other. And a right-handed man swings and tries to hurt you. He's going to hit you on the left cheek with his fist or a club. If he backhands you as a right-handed person, He's going to hit you on your right cheek if he backhands you. Yes. Jesus was specifically talking about being insulted or backhanded. He was not talking about insulted, not assaulted. Right. Here. The, the, the difference, I would say, in this passage in all of its verses is the difference between an insult or uh, someone who desires to, to take advantage of you as opposed to a criminal. Right. This is Jesus is not talking about criminal action here. This is not the subject of the Exodus passage. As an assault or attempted murder right. or something. And, and notice what he says in verse 40. If anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, let him have your cloak also. Thieves don't sue you for your goods. Right. They come in and they come demand and they, them. They demand them and they, they try to hurt you. Okay. And so this is not assault and battery or self-defense is not the subject of Jesus' remarks in Matthew chapter 5. That's exactly right. In verse 41, he says, whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. Basically, there was a, a civil law under the Roman rule of, of the empire at that time that if a Roman soldier met you on the road, it was legal 
to compel you to carry his goods for a mile. Right. So what this soldier is asking you to do is not illegal. It's not a criminal action. Which goes back to the same point I'm trying to make here. The entire passage, Matthew 38 to 42, is not talking about criminal action, right. as in the Exodus passage. Now then, when you come, that's, I think that's exactly right. Now when you come to this issue of whether we as elders of this church have a right or a responsibility, some would say, to do some take some kind of action to, in a reasonable way, protect the people who come here in peace to worship on Sunday or any other day of the week. Do we have any responsibility toward them in a public place to provide some measure of protection? We do several we we do several things here in that regard. I'm not sure I want to go into them on the air, but we do several things that would be not visible to anyone to protect this assembly, don't we? I mean, is putting up a security camera a, a matter of self-defense? People that don't believe in using self-defense, do you lock your doors at night? Do you lock your car door? Do you put up a security camera to watch your place? Do you have an alarm system in your house? Isn't that self-defense? And we can argue if it's a, it's a passive kind of self-defense, but it is a, it is self-defense. But notice, notice more specifically, though, Gary, what Jesus says in in um, in Luke twenty-two, toward the end of his ministry with his apostles. Yeah, I was going to bring that one up. He says, "When I sent you out to them without a money bag, a knapsack, and sandals, did you lack anything?" And they said nothing. And he said that that was what they would call the limited commission when he sent the seventy, and now he's going to send the twelve out. Much more dangerous mission to the whole world. He said to them, but now he who has a money bag, let him take it. Likewise, a knapsack. People aren't going to help you on this mission. They're going to be against you. Not going to help you. And he who has no sword, let him sell his garment and buy one. For I say to you that that this which is written must still be accomplished in me. He was numbered with the transgressors for the things concerning me have an end. And what he means by that is, they're not going to count me anymore as a friend. I'm going to be numbered again as the enemy. Right. So here he pictures a time when his disciples, he and his disciples, Are going to be would, threatened. Be, would be threatened and they would be considered an enemy to people. And he said, and they said to him, verse 38 of Luke 22, and they so they said to him, Lord, look, here are two swords. They looked among themselves in their own gar- in their garments, in their robes. And they said, we have two swords. This is the short sword of self-defense. This isn't the French long rapier or something like that. Or a, This is a, a short sword. And he said to them, it is enough. And I think there's a couple messages in that. Number one, he didn't tell them to go buy a bazooka or a tank. You know, two swords for the 12 was, there's, there's a, there is a reasonableness to the, to the self-defense. And yet, he was implicitly, I don't know how anyone could argue that he was somehow telling them that they had no right to defend themselves as his disciples with physical force. These swords weren't for shaving. They weren't for cutting up their their zucchini for their salad. You see what I'm saying? They were obviously for self-defense. And I think there's another point here, Mike, that this was very important. What did he tell them to do to get these swords? He told them to sell their garments. Yeah. What about how important was a garment? You know, we, we take right. clothing for granted today because we can go down to the local pennies or whatever and buy a shirt or a pair of pants for, for a very fraction of our income. Garments were not that way in that day. No, it, it was something they were going to have to sacrifice to have. Yeah, they, they were going to have to sacrifice something that was very valuable to get this implement of defense. And, and that points to me is how how important this was. Yes, it was not it was not a light thing that he told them to do. You might uh, like the derivation of the word for swords here. There's different kind of swords in the New Testament. This is uh, makaria, not the dance makarena, but it says it's, uh, it's used 29 times in the New Testament. Uh, a large knife for killing animals, kill it, cutting up flesh. We get the word machete from that. I think at some yeah. on some level. A small sword, 
as distinguished from a large sword, like a soldier would carry, perhaps. I don't know. And it, it's, a, it's a sword for thrusting and cutting. So it's obviously a, 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 def a defensive weapon that could be used offensively, but he's speaking of it here in the context of, of self-defense. And he's saying here that I need you to have this. You, you need to have this when you go out as my disciples now that they consider you an enemy. Now, Gary, you and I have lived in the United States all of our lives at a time when we were not considered enemies of the state or of many people. Christians were not targets in society in general because of the circumstances. And yet he, he's picturing a time when, and he's saying, um, until now, they don't consider me an enemy, but now they consider me an enemy. And 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 just go saying, if, it, if they consider me an enemy, you're an enemy. You're going to be the enemy. So the question for Christians, and I don't know the exact answer, we, people can vary on this, is have we reached a time among a certain element of our population where Christians and Christianity is the enemy? And therefore, it's time to sell a garment and buy a sword. People can differ on that. I think you and I take the position that each church and its leadership is going to have to make a responsible decision about that given their members and what they need to do and, and, and assess the threat. Well, also, this is also what I would say. This is aimed at criminal activity. This is not aimed at forwarding any ideology. This is not about crusades or anything like that, no. This is about criminal activity. I made some observations in this lesson that I did about this uh, I don't know, time to when it was a year and a half ago or so. You can go on, you can go on our website. And you can it's a, a sermon on the Christian and self defense. Um, but I said I made five observations. Jesus expected them to have swords and anticipated a time when those without swords would need them. Eleven disciples had two swords. That's about a one to five ratio. Of, of swords. He wasn't saying, I want all of my disciples armed to the teeth when they go out. Right. You know, he didn't say that. Jesus expected them to carry swords on their person as they traveled from city, the city to the garden meeting. He wanted them carrying them. I don't know whether it's carrying concealed or open, but he wanted them carrying. I, I think they were concealed because he couldn't see them and they showed them to him. Now, yeah. you say, well, he's son of God, he can see them. But, I mean, they felt the need to show them to him because they were hidden. Among those closest to Jesus, number four, some carried personal weapons in his presence with his consent to their meetings. Think about that. That's what that passage says. They were having a meeting. He says, bring your swords. They carried meetings, personal weapons, with his consent to their meetings. Now, we cannot make absolute claims as to the reasons, right or wrong, for the carriage of these weapons per se. We can only observe what's here and make a proper application for the circumstances that we live in as Christians. But but this is, uh, you know, Jesus said when they came out to get him, if you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to take me? So he says, uh, I sat daily in the temple teaching, you did not seize me. What the implication of that is, if he was a thief and a robber, then clubs and swords would have been justified to use against him, right? Because they would have been used in self-defense Well, that's a thief and a robber. That even brings us to a passage I think I was trying to point out a misunderstanding of some of these things or, or a different way to understand some is Matthew 26, basically verse 52. Now, in the verses prior to that, 50 or 51, it says, uh, Then they came and laid hands on Jesus and took him. This is the garden. And suddenly one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand, drew his sword, and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. But Jesus said to him, Put your sword in its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Or do you think that I cannot now pray to my father and he will provide me with more than twelve legions of angels? How then could scripture be fulfilled that it must happen thus? Now, we, we, we lose sight of verse 54. He's, the circumstance here is Jesus is telling him not to fight because that's not what's ordained for this time. This is not the way things are supposed to go. Right. But he also says, put your sword in its place. And everybody's saying, well, Jesus said, don't have anything to do with 
swords. Well, he just a few hours before told him to go buy one. He was saying, this is not the time to use the sword. This is not the time right. to use the sword. You go buy one, but look at, he didn't tell Peter or whoever this disciple, well, I think it was Peter in other yes. accounts. He didn't tell Peter to throw his sword away. He said, put it, put it in, in its place. place. It has a place. It put has it there. a place. Put it there. Right. And, Peter, and we, Peter miss, was, we miss that. This is this is part of my... So we know Peter was one of the two carrying a sword that night. Yes. Yes. So, but basically, this is something that I think is missed when we look at the... We need to look at these passages a lot more carefully to understand what the That's right. They is. become used as slogans. It's like this passage that you mentioned in Matthew 5.38. Do not resist an evil person about slapping him on the right cheek and so forth. If you think about that, if you... If you uh, if you say, well, Christians cannot resist an evil person. So if a person walks, if a person were to walk in here this morning, Gary, with a with a uh, semi-automatic weapon, loaded with ammunition, and begin to fire upon this audience, the person who believes that that scripture teaches that we cannot resist evil, then we all have to just sit there, including the children, and all be shot without resisting it. Is running away resisting? Is high. If resist means don't do anything to defend yourself. Now, I'm going to challenge people on definitions because this is what they do. They want to throw it out there that Jesus is saying, don't, don't use self-defense. Well, is hiding behind a wooden pew self-defense? I got the best place in the house, Gary. I'm behind a huge, a big wooden pulpit that's you can't even drill holes in it with a drill. Okay? I don't think bullets go through there very easy. So well, I, I wouldn't. Wouldn't depend on that. I'm not, but I'm just saying I got a better defense than we got. We got uh, chairs, you know. But is getting down and hiding is that resisting evil? Does it mean we're just supposed to let that person commit evil against all these uh, women and children in this building? Is ver is is all re is verbal resistance pr prohibited? Doesn't say don't resist him with violence. It just says don't resist him. Is verbal resistance is that? Does this person who believes that we can't resist evil and applies that across the board to these self-defense situations, it is do they lock their doors at night? Why should they lock? Why should they have a door? Except maybe to keep varmints out. But you shouldn't resist evil. If a man wants to come in your house and take your stuff, let him. Now, I'm not saying you should shoot somebody who comes in to take something. But what I am saying, you do a lot of things to resist evil, don't you? Yes. Uh, People, what about uh, resisting evil by shielding your PIN number at the gas station? Aren't you resisting evil when you shield the, someone from watching your PIN number? Or aren't you resisting evil when you carry one of these wallets that block people from getting your credit cards, uh, RFID uh, technology? Tell me you may know what I'm talking about. They can read your credit cards in your pocket. Do, do you resist evil when you get a wallet that doesn't let them do that? Well, you sure are, aren't you? Well, it's same if resist just means resist in a broad sense and then have a specific meaning that Jesus is using, then all those things are true. Go ahead. Well, it's, it's in the same category, Mike, that I would say of, of the misinterpretation of the, new, of the old King James Version of you shall not kill. Okay, if, if the taking of life is, is abhorrent or, or outside of God's law under any and all circumstances, then no one, not even the government, can take a life. There's no such thing as, as protection. There's no such, you know, there's no such thing as war. Policemen couldn't shoot or resist or any in any way resist a violent person. Right, exactly. It, it's, it's a misinterpretation of the limitation that's put on Scripture by the wording that's used. And I stand against this because basically... My point is we don't think about very much what we read. We should give it more thought. Exactly. Well, people often say that, that Gary, and we've got about five minutes left. If you want to call in real quick, 772-340-1590. But the argument's often made that when Christians make preparations to defend themselves and their families, they're showing a lack of faith in God's protection. I've heard that all my life that if I lock my door, I'm saying God won't protect me. Or if I uh, buy life insurance, I'm saying God won't protect me. Or if I uh, carry a weapon or learn to fight, 
but but having the tools to defend yourself isn't at all at odds with trusting God to protect you, protect me, any more than stocking up my refrigerator with food uh, for a few days is at odds with trusting Him to provide my daily bread. Okay, well, God, or or the kind of what kind of farmer would I be if I just sat on my porch and said I don't need to plant or plow because God will provide the food. I don't want to go out there and plant and then act like you know I have to do something for the future. Well, that's foolishness. Well, let me let me pose another one to you. What about Jesus when he was tempted by Satan? What did he say when Satan said, "Scripture says if you up, even if you stumble on your toe and you fall over, the angels are going to bear you up." That's what that's what Satan right. said. What what was Jesus's reply? Thou shalt, Thou shalt tempt not, the Lord. Not tempt the Lord. Basically, if the Lord if if there's something that I can do, he expects me to do it. Right. Okay. If if I can provide for my own, he told me he'd provide our food. He told me he'd provide for us all the things that we need. What did he mean by that? He means if if you do your part, he will provide those things. Right. And if we don't, what are we doing? We're we're doing nothing more than tempting the Lord, basically. I think mm-hmm. in, in our arrogance. Well, that, that's at least my. It's view. no more so than you know. For us, supposed to make preparations to defend yourself. Um, if you if, here's a man who has a responsibility to take care of his family, according to God, First Timothy five eight. We as elders have responsibility to provide some a place, safe place for people to worship here. I believe, and and especially as leaders that people trust for their for their spiritual and sometimes physical safety. Well, let me put it this way. The law holds us accountable to keep the people here safe. I can tell you this city of Port St. Lucie does because I dealt with enough inspectors and fire marshals here. We have our fire extinguishers checked every year to make sure they're all up to code and all of our emergency exit lighting and all that. Why do we do that, Gary? Because we have not, we have not only a moral but a legal responsibility to provide a safe situation for the people that meet in this building from time to time. Do you think that's justified? Well, well, we can argue about the law, but I think the principle is certainly justified that, that that's the case. And so if a man will not make any effort to protect what is his responsibility or a woman, I don't think they're living. I don't think it's a matter of lacking, of having a greater trust in God because you don't take, uh, make the effort to protect yourself or those you have responsibility for. I think you're showing a disrespect for God when you do those things. Well, if a man will not take care of his own, what? Basically, He's worse than infidel. He's worse I, than I have infidel. responsibility to that, you see. Exactly. To, to take care of that. So that's what we do here in this church on whatever level it might be, whether you, uh, you know, whether you would agree with it or not, we've made provisions to protect the people of the church here on some level. Will it be enough in the end? You know what, Gary? You, you I neither one know. We Here's do not know if it'll be enough or if it's good enough or if it'll, nothing will happen. We don't know, but our job is to, is to make, make an effort to do what is right and good with our, the, the ones we're responsible to. Here's one more passage that I'd like for our listeners to think about. It's Luke 3, beginning verse 14. John is talking to the soldiers, and they ask him a question. He said, likewise, the soldiers asked him, saying, what shall we do? And, he, and so he said to them, do not intimidate anyone or accuse falsely. And be contented with your wages. Right. Now, he was teaching the gospel. The scripture says the law and the prophets were until John. But then, basically, the kingdom was being preached. So John is, is preaching what Jesus actually came to do. Right. And notice what he did not tell them. He did not tell them to stop being soldiers. Right. Didn't he told them, that. do not right. intimidate anyone or accuse falsely and be content with your wages. Now, Mike, I've been in the military, and I've talked to people who... I've never been in combat, uh, live fire combat, uh, but I have talked to people who are, who have. And they, they tell me their basic desire at that point in time was to defend themselves. Right, just to stay alive. Just to right. stay alive. Well, I, I had this statement, and we're going to have to close with this, Gary, for time, uh, in this sermon I preached. The elders of this church believe that it is their duty to take measured reasonable, permissible measures to protect the worshipers from harm. I think we can stand on that, something like that. We appreciate your listening this morning. Our time has gone today. 
Thanks for listening. Tune in again next week to We Are Just Christians, and may God bless you.